Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Allie Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room. Here we are, and I'm actually in my own personal ladies' room just to get in the mood. Okay. Um, please don't use the facilities while we're in without pressing mute. Oh, I mean at all. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a two person podcast. So if you press mute, it would be very obvious. (laughs) You're like, talk for a second. Not unless I get you on a roll first. Yeah. Talk for a second. Um, yeah. I really just walked from my bedroom to the bathroom and sat on the counter because I like that feeling of like sitting around in the ladies room that we're And okay. I am back to my office, so I have yes. my smooth jazz microphone, but it's it's still complete chaos in here. We're, I think we're going to be able to move back into the house this weekend, but there is still so much crap in my office because we basically only had like two rooms that didn't get worked on. So everything that didn't fit in the pod got jammed in either Riley's bedroom or my room. And I hope you can't hear it because there's plumbers running a saw right now too. No, we can't hear it. Okay, good. I'm going to try to not be distracted by it, but wow, (laughs) it is super loud. It's so funny. Um, I was listening to Brooke Castile's podcast this week and she was having her neighbor, she's in some kind of condo now and um, her neighbors were having construction done. And she's like, I hope you can't hear it because it's time to do the podcast. (laughs) I was like, girl, I feel you. Right. But it's that like last percentage of work where it's just all chaos before it comes together. And it's going to be so yeah. nice. And you really, your big hope was it would be done by the holidays, which I think you're going to get. Yeah, I think so too. Um, assuming that they come, there's one last piece that apparently, I don't know, a puppy will die if they do it or something, because the, the parts to have it, to do it have been around um, for like two or three months. And they just like, well, we'll do that later. We'll do that later. And I have to keep moving those materials around my house. It's making me cranky. Well, I understand that. I try to not be the stereotypical uh, suburban white woman. Karen? Yeah. Like, I'm going <laughs> to speak to your manager. Uh, no, that's not how I roll. In fact, no. I'm much more likely to say something when I'm super delighted. Like today, oh, here, here we go. Here's a little meadow story, but it kind of rolls into what we're gonna talk about, which is infinite games. So today um, I'm assemb- I was assembling a bed frame. We replaced one of the beds and um, we were at an Airbnb and we loved the beds there. And I texted the host and she sent me the links. So that was very cool. So for the bed, like for the bed, is... yep, for the bed. Yeah. yeah, we're like, hey, we love the bed. Um, so you know, it is. So I just have, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say it. something about this thing. So John does this all the time, what you're saying. Like, I'm likely to say nice things and give nice feedback, but he always does like the extra mile and like goes and finds the person's manager and makes, you know, a really nice comment. And we have only been in Salt Lake, you know, a couple months, not, not even quite, I don't think with him here. And all these people know us like at places we've repeat been to because they remember that he's the guy that went out of the way to go talk to their manager. And I wouldn't have ever really known that would have made that big of an impression, but it's like so sweet. And I think it's just like, 
you know, we need so much more positive feedback, like just like the Gottman work, like give Mm -hmm. eight positive feedbacks for every time you bitch, like about something and the world will be very happy and cohesive, I think. Yeah. I'm totally that person. I'm totally the person that will say to like, uh, um, somebody who comes and does something at my house, like a plumber or whatever, or, um, a wait staff and say, you know, I would love to tell your manager what an amazing job you did if the person is not busy. Um, and when, uh, when I had Riley, um, I'm kind of getting off the track because emailing the Airbnb thing wasn't even what I was, I wasn't even being nice to her. She was being nice to me. But um, when I had Riley, I was in the ICU for almost a week um, and my nurses took such fantastic care of me and Mm -hmm. I wrote individual letters um, for each of the nurses and remembered their names, which I can't even remember. I can't even, they used to write their names on the board. So it helped. And I like wrote them down, but um, yeah, we took pictures of Peggy's board when the nurses were amazing. So we could send thank yous. Yeah. And I wrote letters and I addressed them to the manager of the nursing staff. And I said, you know, and not just, she was such a great nurse, but like, she was so reassuring when I found out I needed an unscheduled C-section and she held my hand, like very specifically what they did um, and said, I hope you share this letter with them and take it into consideration at the next pay cycle, you know, and I wrote like Mm -hmm. six or seven of those letters and mailed them. That's who I am. Like I always go. So what I was going to say is I had this experience today. That's actually going to push me all the way to writing a review on Amazon, which I never do. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) above and beyond. But anyway, so we ordered this bed frame um, and I got the bed frame today to assemble it. And I was so excited that I actually posted on Facebook and I posted on Reddit because the hardware for the bed was in like a bubble pack. I mean, not a bubble, not bubble pack, like the kind that you pop for fun, but like a blister pack. So Mm -hmm. there was like a shrink wrapped of, you know, here's these parts, these are these parts. And there was even a little thing that said spare parts. And I was like, that's fantastic. They labeled the spare parts (laughs) and had them separate. (laughs) And then I opened, um, there was let me have to look it on my phone. There was a little envelope in there too. And it said, Hold on. I got to look at it. It said Psst, in here in the envelope and I opened mm-hmm. the envelope and there was a little, um, like a little piece of paper wrapped around these three note cards that was basically like, Hey, we love what you're doing to your house. It's so great. You're amazing. Here's some, a present for you. And it was three little, three little note cards that I could just like, it was a thank you card and two note cards that said, Hey there. And I was like, they did not need to do that. And I'm standing here smiling and giggling because it was such a charming little touch. Like I was already delighted <laughs> by, um, by how the hardware was packaged. And I took a picture and I put it on um, Facebook and I also put it on this subreddit that's for like good designs. And then the mattress came and then inside the mattress was a little thing like, your mattress has been really through a lot, been under a lot of pressure. Please give it. I was going to say, this sounds like my mom's bed that she got. It's the exact same brand. Obviously like that's funny. Visus or something. I can't remember the brand. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was just so cute. And I thought that's, they really went above and beyond to delight right. me in a way that they didn't. I'm like, I'm totally, I know this is a low bar for some people, but I'm totally going to go do an Amazon review. Like I never bother i am ordered probably 50 things a month from Amazon. I never review any of them. Who cares? 
I thought you were going to say 50 things from Amazon. I was like, the hell you have. No, per month. No, for per month. Yes. Yeah, so that might even know. be an underestimate. And I don't usually, like, um, we, we've been ordering all kinds of stuff. And Lowe's um, emailed me the other day. Hey, could you review your recent purchase? And it was one of the toilets. I'm like, no, I'm not going to review the toilet. <laughs> it is a toilet. Oh, no. <laughs> Just like, how does it go above and beyond? It does the toilet things that it needs to do. <laughs> and so, it didn't come with any note cards. So no, it didn't come, you. if you want a review from me, you better be charming and, and humorous. <laughs> um, but I just loved that they, they really thought about the typical consumer when it came to assembly by shrink wrapping, you know, everything in its individual and the blister pack popped open really easily from the back. Like it had the little cardboard scoring mm-hmm. and I could pop out just the piece I needed each time. It didn't like all come out in a big pile. Like here's these pieces, here's these pieces. I thought what a brilliant design. And I bet it cuts down a ton on quality control problems and inventory problems. Right, like good solutions. I mean, it sounds like something like so small, but it does kind of point to how much we need to play bigger games as, you know, people who are providing any kind of product or service because so much bandwidth gets wasted and a lot of companies don't feel responsible for the amount of bandwidth that they're just taking in stupid systems and processes. Right. Like think about the times you've assembled stuff and you have some pieces left over and you think, is this a problem? Is this not a problem? Did I do this wrong? So they, and I still want the spares, right? Every once in a while, something will be bent or get broken. Um, So they, they're there spare parts shrink wrapped in their own little blister pack thing. It was a very cool. Very easy to please, Lynn. I'm not. <laughs> that is the opposite. <laughs> I think it's funny because we had two of those mattresses. And like, I was like, uh, these cards are so annoying because now I have to put them somewhere. But I think we've literally in the family bought 10 of those mattresses. That's we funny. love them. And it's hilarious that we're just now talking about it on the podcast. But yeah, anyway. No. Um, and I don't, why did I start talking about that? I don't even remember. Oh, oh, I, was I don't know. That- I'm the anti-Karen. Like I, I usually go, I will go more out of my way to say something nice than to complain. All right. Well, I think now that we're talking about mattresses, it's a good time to get into your obsession with Simon Sinek. You know, you always make a bigger deal of it than it is to the place where it's incredibly (laughs) awkward. You fangirl him. You can't even, we can't (laughs) even talk about Simon Sinek without like your heart beating a little fast. That's not true. (laughs) Absolute deception that you're saying right now. (laughs) No, because someday we're going to interview him on the podcast and he'll be like, oh, I listened to your infinite game podcast and I'm too uncomfortable to talk to you now. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not true. She's not, she's not into you at all, Simon. Don't worry. No, he's adorable. He's brilliant. And he's also adorable. He's kind of my type, just like Eric. He's like a little nerdy. <laughs> he's got the little glasses, you know, very cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we wanted to talk about his latest book, which we've been obsessing about for a year or so. Um, but in COVID years, it's like the last I, 10 years. I so cannot, I cannot keep track of time over the last few. See, I can't even say over the last what. Yeah. It's so disorienting. Totally disorienting. Because um, we were saying on a previous podcast, like 2020 lasted about 10 years and 2021, we're already in November. Like what happened? 
I don't yeah, even know. It's crazy. I didn't even know. But anyway, um, we wanted to talk about the infinite game or infinite games, um, which is not a concept he invite, invented, but he um, he systematized it in a really good way, I think, is what the book really brings. The book is, his book is called The Infinite Game, but the idea of infinite games is one that he didn't create. He even credits, and now I can't remember who it was who first conceived of infinite games. And um, I don't know, I'm trying to get some context for this rather than just launching straight into, and here's this book that we liked, and here's our book report, you know, what I did this summer. Um, well, I'll give you a little context for just yeah, sort of it. where we were at in our own process. Like we, you know, during 2020, our paths of our work together kind of started to converge and we started to realize like, oh, we always thought our work was really separate, but now we can see that there's a lot of places where we're going to be up to things together. And this idea of like needing to stand for change systemically and um, your work around people and specifically helping people get through things quickly. And, you know, my sort of like love of systems and, um, and your architecting of things. And so we were talking, you know, literally, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of hours about things we're reading and, and our own ideas and thoughts and defining things. And then you read this book when it came out and I listened to it and, um, it, we were like, you were like, Allie, this is the roadmap for what we've been talking about. Like it gives some parameters for us to start um, playing on essentially. And then didn't you say you just reread it? I did. I, I re-listened to it because I listened to it on audio the first time. And I find that sometimes if there's something that has, because I agree with you, it's like a roadmap. And I also think it's a great framework, the way he kind of breaks it down and creates, like he gives um, some really nice definitions of what an infinite game is. And then what are the elements of the component? Like an infinite game has these elements. And then in order for this yeah, element framework's to be- a better, a better word. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so he said like an infinite game has five elements. It has to have a just cause, um, trusting team or infinite. This is infinite mindset. So to play an infinite game, you have to have an infinite mindset, which is a just cause building, trusting teams, studying your worthy rivals, preparing for existential flexibility and demonstrating the courage to lead. Um, I bought a paper copy of the book too, because what I find is I can listen to things on audio and absorb them, but if they have some kind of structure, um, I kind of need to see it. Um, like when we read influencer, I realized I took, I was almost all the way through the book before I realized, oh, they're, they're going through a grid. <laughs> There's like a little two by three grid right. that they, they break through. I think and I, I listened to that one like five times before you read it. And then we're like, oh, this is a grid. <laughs> I was like, oh, awesome. <laughs> right. And if you have the paper book, they have a picture of the grid in it. So if it's something that, that I want to kind of structure, systematize, I kind of need the paper book. So I did re-listen to it. And I also got the paper book. So it, it is a really fantastic framework because he gives the elements of an infinite mindset and what infinite games are. And then each of those elements, like a just cause, he talks about um, what you have to have in order to have a just cause. So it gives you a place to apply metrics. Um, like if you can distinguish each of these elements, um, then you can apply metrics and then see where adjustments need to be made. So like, Hey, I want to play an infinite game. And then you can actually measure whether you're actually playing an infinite game and then what you might need to adjust if, if you're not. 
Okay, so what is an infinite game? Okay, so an infinite game, um, it's probably better to talk about it in the contrast. So there's finite games and infinite games. And he's talking about from the context of everything that we do as humans is some kind of game, um, which you and I ascribe to that philosophy too. And again, it's not true or false. It's just a model. Um, but a finite game is, is like, say, a football game where there's a time period, um, everyone's playing for a certain goal and there's like a winner or loser and the game is over and people break up and disperse. So in a football game, you're trying to score the most points and if you score the most points, you win. Mm -hmm. um, but an infinite game doesn't have a winner or loser in that sense that when you play, when you play a finite game, you're playing to win. But when you play an infinite game, you're playing to keep playing. Your goal is to keep playing. Your goal is to have the um, will and resources to keep playing. Um, so like an infinite, infinite games are um, like education, business, careers. Although a lot of business, part of what he talks about is a lot of businesses starting to be played like a finite game. And that's what the whole book is about. But um, that was one of the biggest takeaways that I was left with from the book overall is that we have transformed in a lot of ways, the economic game of capitalism to a very finite game. And we were talking about that this afternoon. And that was some of what I was like the first time I went through it. That was definitely some of what I was like, holy shit, this is so well-written. And it also doesn't like so many things it doesn't just tear down, you know, good ideas and valuable systems, like everything out with the bathwater. Like he does such a good job of deconstructing it that you're left with like a lot of space to be curious, I think. Yeah. And in fact, he sets in a, in a historical context. So the first time I went through the book, it just totally blew my mind because it was such a new way of looking at things that I was like, holy crap, I could barely absorb it. Cause I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like it just, <laughs> Everything about it just resonated with me and what you and I have been talking about and like how to value people and fairness and ethics and morality, like all bringing all those elements um, into economic systems. And he sets it in the historical context that, and this is something that we suffer from, especially as Americans, we've talked about this here, that we sometimes think that the way it is, is the way it's always been. Like right. what exists right now is, is truth and has been for all time. But what the historical context he puts it in is that Milton Friedman in the seventies, the 1970s, so barely 50 years, um, con conceived of a new way, a new kind of capitalism that had shareholder value as its sole goal or as it, or at least its primary goal, supreme over everything else. And he even wrote about how shareholders are considered owners of the company and they should be um, served, you know, primary to everything else. And that prior to that, that that wasn't even, so he talks a lot about Adam Smith who wrote The Wealth of Nations. Um, and it's funny, cause I was going, you and I were talking about this this morning. I was going through this book and I was like, yeah, this is really fantastic. I should go read The Wealth of Nations too to really get the proper, you know, rather than just listening to someone talk about it. And then I looked and it was written in 1776 and it's 600 pages long. And I was like, <laughs> huh, maybe I could find some kind of 
cliff notes or something for this. <laughs> and then I found this book on Audible that's only five hours long because they have the Wealth of Nations on um, Audible and it's like, I don't know, 40 hours or something like that. Like, oh my oh, gosh, God, I can't do it. Um, and also, no, and also well, it, he's Scottish. Um, and a lot of the book is actually about, like it was written for the time. It wasn't right. just a, like, it wasn't just like a philosophical, whatever it was written for at the time. So I've been, I started listening to this thing that's supposed to be about it. And I don't know if I can do it because every they're talking about the historical and social context of the book, which is really good. You know, what's going on in England, what's going on here in Scotland, but every time they quote someone, they do an accent and I just can't do it. <laughs> I just, I nonfiction books where people use accents just make me crazy. It's so, and it's not just, it's bad enough when they quote Adam Smith and they give him a Scottish accent. But <laughs> they quoted a French philosopher and now I can't remember who it was. I think Voltaire. And they gave him a French accent of someone speaking English with a French accent. And I'm like, no, you're just making this more hard to understand. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? So I don't know. I just can't imagine like kind of terrible editing. Like this will be a thing. Well, I think it was uh, written a long time ago. Like I was listening to the audio of, um, is it how to win friends and influence people? Yes. I know. I know that there's a couple audios of it, but yeah, I know the earlier ones you're like, oh yeah. And they, they, um, there was music that you could tell it was a set of tapes. (laughs) <laughs> and at the end of each tape, there's like this swell of orchest- orchestral music. And, but it's not at chapter breaks. It's like right at the end of where the tape would end. Right. So right. like in the middle of a thought, like the violins will swell and uh, then the book will keep going. Like you couldn't clip that. Like w- there's no software that <laughs> let you take out those weird transitions. So, um, Anyway, so in the book, he talks about that Friedman really has kind of sold us a bill of goods. It actually made me hate Milton Friedman um, in a way that I didn't on the first reading. Um, And that, gosh, I feel like I'm all over the place. You reel me in. Um, Adam Smith. I don't know. I figured you were just going to come back around until. I don't know. It's so so unprocessed. Um, Adam Smith was a moral philosopher. And so he wrote his entire book in a context of more morality rather than just economics. So it's not really, let's back up then. Okay. The two dudes that you're talking about, both were wrote, like they were both writers during they, but well, they both wrote and contributed to thinking and philosophy and um, business structure in the late 1700s. Yeah. No, no. Adam Smith wrote in the late 1700s and Milton Friedman Friedman wrote in the 1970s. Oh yeah, that's right. And so um, Adam Smith was contributed to early economic writing around the, the immersion of capitalism. Right. He basically invented capitalism and he did it in opposition. This is how far I've gotten into the accent book. (laughs) He did it in opposition to what was called mercantilism at the time, which was merchants seeking special favors from the rulers at the time in order to screw over consumers. Which is basically what most of us would call capitalism. Right. And like the way the current structure works with most governments. Exactly. We we just 
evolved back to that place. Devolved. Devolved. And that's what's so interesting is that there's a lot of conversation right now about tearing down capitalism. And what's interesting is if Adam Smith saw the current capitalism, he would just write his book again. Like he would roll (laughs) in his grave and write his book again. Because he, um, and so that's what like Simon Sinek is saying, like what we really need to do is kind of go back to the roots of this and that the purpose of business is not to make the most money possible for the shareholders. And he said something that I so loved. He said, um, Milton Friedman was like, shareholders are owners. Owners deserve, you know, all the benefit, which I don't agree with. Sinek doesn't agree with, and neither did Adam Smith, but Simon Sinek makes the point that shareholders aren't even owners, they're renters. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, they're not invested. Yeah. I thought that was such a great distinction. Everybody should listen to Infinite Game just for that reason. But I think it left, I mean, I had, I mean, I've been in a part of, you know, a part of a company that did Schedule C, you know, invest in raising money and whatever. Um, And it's really interesting at that level, what, what's at stake, because that's kind of angel round investing. And so it's all very high risk. And then what changes, I was just really present when I was listening to it, like what changes in a company from that perspective. And then what also changes in an economic system, because it is um, a structure where you start chasing money to keep feeding the investors, to keep feeding whatever the company wants to be pursuing um, economically. But historically even even in early wall street and stuff like that philosophy was not part of the system as much and businesses operated very differently with um long-standing investment in their employees and their resources and their contributions yes. and granted the world was really different 100 years ago and like what people even could see to be responsible for was different but we've made this complete shift from having the ability to be responsible more for more to being responsible for much less. uh, um, I think companies as a whole are doing that. And for sure inside the wall street economic model. Right. Does that kind of rein it in a little bit? Yeah. Well, totally. Actually we can just get on that track. Yeah. Because, and he lays that at, at, at Friedman's feet because he was the one who said companies exist to make money for their stockholders. And we, so in the current soup, this is why it blew my mind so much when we, when we first read infinite game is in the current soup, we just accept that as true and how it's always been, but it's only really been that way for 50 years. And there were people before looking to make a quick buck, like Eric and I are rewatching um, Deadwood and which is in um, the gold rush in the Dakotas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, lots you of- haven't really told me you're rewatching the whole thing. Didn't I tell you we were I mean, watching, rewatching? No, Deadwood? you just told me you watched an old episode, but I I've never watched Deadwood, so now I need to think about if I'm going to watch it. It's fantastic, <laughs> but I will tell <laughs> you it it was. Um, I want to set you up right now for the coming heartbreak. For whatever reason, HBO canceled it before they finished it, so there's only three seasons, and it ends kind of abruptly. And they mm. made a movie a few years later, but it didn't really wrap it up. Mm. But, But what's really interesting is that's a perfect example of there were people in there wanting to make investments in a community. And then there were people who were just wanted to like basically strip mine the resources and get out. 
Um, and it's kind of the difference, you know, we've been pointing to these infinite games when we talk about how doTERRA does business and the story of magic of Emily and the magic flower, because mm-hmm. it's the difference between, Hey, I found these people, they have a magic flower. I want to trade with them in a way that enriches both communities. That's an infinite mindset versus a finite mindset, which is they have these magic flowers and I want to get as many of them as I can and sell them and then get out and just like exploit the resource. Right. So I have a question. Why? Like, I don't remember infinite game addressing this and I wasn't actually, I didn't even think very much about it, but in the seventies, what else was happening that that made such an impression? Like, do you know, I mean, obviously we had major depression and inflation and all that stuff, but, um, like, well, depression maybe wasn't the right word, but we were really fresh. We had such inflation and such high um, interest rates. And there was like, you know, a lot of unemployment and, but what made that so palatable in the business world? I honestly don't really know. And if he covered it in the book, I missed it. I don't remember him covering it, but but if it was there, you would have got, you would have absorbed it. I mean, I guess part of it is there's always people who want that right? There's always an exploitation class. Um, Like this is why a lot of, I, I get impatient with a lot of the, um, a lot of the conversations I'm hearing where people are like, we should institute this in place and it'll be a utopian. I'm like, no, there's always like Riley's reading animal farm in um, Mm -hmm. an English class right now. (laughs) Very timely. It's like, yeah, there's always going to be someone who tries to shuffle themselves to the top in a way that exploits and overconsumes and whatever else. Um, so maybe it was people just like, hell yeah, that's a way to make a quick buck. I mean, it's like uh, I watched, um, what's it called? The one about the, the one about the the movie about the, um, uh, my brain, the movie about the real estate bubble. Um, is it too big know. to fail? I can't remember. It has Steve Carroll and he's the only one I can think of right now, but anyway, I think you're right. Someone figured out how to make a killing in the real estate market by like exploiting a loop. I mean, it's, it's, we've talked about this before, like narcissists always find the loophole. Mm -hmm. So there's always someone looking for the loophole. Like it's like the, the LuLaRoe when the guy's like, when you can find an unexploited resource, you can make a fast buck. (laughs) And so I think. I think that's kind of, there were people listening in Friedman's day, like, yeah, we could make a shit ton of money doing this. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And then they just kind of, you know, went for it. So I know this isn't where we were remotely headed, but I, we've been watching succession. I always call it the successor and it drives everybody crazy when I tell Alexa to play the movie, the show um, incorrectly, but she does anyway. So it's on HBO Max and we started watching it because John was a stand-in for Brian Cox and he loves Brian. I mean, even prior, he loved Brian Cox, but he found out about the show, which I highly recommend it since season three, but it is kind of like this family that's like the Trumps and, you know, all of Fox media empire, like all had, and Disney all had an evil baby and like they're operating in the world. And there's always all these things going on with shareholders, but there's so much law that has been built up to support the structure that I'm sure it's far more than just an idea. 
like shareholder interests and companies operating inside of serving shareholders. Like there's a fiduciary responsibility inside a board to, to operate that way, which is fascinating. Like now I'm very curious about it, but I probably won't read a 600 page book. I'm just going to keep watching this show and see where it goes. (laughs) Like a few weeks ago when I was like, you know, I think I have a lot of historical ignorance due to the way my education shook out. Um, like I skipped, whatever, it doesn't even matter, but basically. Well, now you have to explain. Okay. So lift up your skirt and tell us what's under there. <laughs> it's just dumb. So I was, I was two grade levels ahead in math. And so my schedule in high school got shuffled around in a way that I missed out on some of the classes that I would have normally had to take in order to get my math classes taken. So like okay. when I was a freshman, all the smart kids took this honors world history, but in order to take my uh, 11th grade math class, I had to take the, um, the skills class that they had the less smart kids in, like where you learn how to use the library and stuff. Well, I just <laughs> want you to know that I was in <laughs> honors history and I don't remember anything except how cute my history teacher and Mr. Kaufman was. So Perfect. it's okay. I saw yeah. a funny, I saw a funny tweet this week where someone said, um, I'm about to take this class with this, this teacher, this instructor, it was like a college and all the reviews just talk about how, how good looking, <laughs> how good looking he is. And he better be like beautiful. And then a few hours later he tweets and he's like, oh yeah, this guy is mad cute. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but anyway, so I was like, I have all these gaps in history. Um, how can I learn some more? And I was like, I don't really want it to require a lot of me. So I started watching, I started binge watching drunk history and that feels about right. It feels about the right place. <laughs> I think you've said like, though, that you've been very entertained, but you're not sure how much you learned. I'm not really That's still the case. Yeah. Right. So I still need to find some more, but I have been super entertained by the drunk history. But anyway, right. um, it doesn't surprise me that laws have been built up around this because the people who benefit from it, it's just like the, it's all the structures, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So when, when he wrote his thing, so, but let's talk a little bit about a just cause, a just cause. Cause that's really all to right. remind the infinite, an infinite mindset has, it advances a just cause. It builds trusting teams. These are the practices advance a just cause, build trusting teams, study your worthy rivals, prepare for existential flexibility and demonstrate the courage to lead and a just cause the way he defines it. I don't know if this is his definition or someone else's it's for something affirmative and optimistic, inclusive, open to all those who would like to contribute service oriented for the primary benefit of others, resilient, able to endure political, technological, and cultural change and idealistic, big, bold, and ultimately unachievable. And he puts forth the, the, what do you want to call it? Thesis, um, position, yeah, the, premise. The, the premise that the purpose of business is to advance a just cause. And so I am, I'm going to ask a really dumb question. So basically there's not really a difference between an infinite game is playing with a, for a just cause. Yes. Well, an infinite game that advancing a just cause is one of the elements of an infinite game. Okay. So he talks about an infinite mindset. So in order to, to actually infinite games are games are either infinite or not. It's um, that's a really good question actually, because 
the way he describes it, a game is either infinite or not. So for example, business is an infinite game. Nobody wins business, right? Like you just keep playing. Like even if you had all the money in the whole stock market, then you die and it keeps going. <laughs> Right. Okay. You, you don't. Nobody. Because there's not an end to it. Is the reason. Right. That's there's no game. end. Like it does. It doesn't meet the definition of a finite game. There's no end. There's no winner. There's no clear winner or loser. Like, even if you win right. the quarter, and what does it even mean to win? Right. You know, but there you, are lots of little wins inside the longer game of it. But it's of like course. a political system or anything else. Like you're. There's no. I agree with you. Okay. Right. So like that's geo, the definition. Geopolitics is an infinite game, but a war is a finite game. Yeah. Right. So what he talks about is where we have all these problems is business leaders play with a finite mindset. They play the infinite game of business with a finite mindset. Like they're trying to win when mm-hmm. really in an infinite game, you play to keep playing that um, you're trying to conserve your will and resources to keep playing the game. Basically like you lose an infinite game by running out of will and resources and dropping out. That's how you quote lose. But mm, there's really interesting. There's never really a winner, but there can be multiple losers in an infinite game. So an infinite mindset, which is necessary to play an infinite game correctly, one of the things of it is to advance a just cause. And I think that's the most interesting, like the other ones about trusting teams and building more or uh, studying worthy rivals and um, existential flexibility, that kind of stuff is really interesting and supportive, but I feel like the just cause is the primary thing that really attracted me to this and where I think the framework is. And so his premise is that the purpose of business is to advance a just cause. Yes. And that you have all these stakeholders, but really the goal is the just cause. And one of the elements of the just cause is that it's service oriented. And he said, it doesn't mean you don't make money, but you see profits as a way to keep playing. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, it's an it's interesting to hear you break it down like differently than how it landed for me when I first listened to it. Although I know those elements are there. I'm just saying like, well, that wasn't really the interesting part at the time. But um, yeah. the definite, because he brings all the definition to it. Um, I think it's awesome. And we can see, like, I'm sure all of us can think of an example right away of someone we know in business or politics or whatever, somebody we knew personally who played inside that system only for their own end goal. And they're also like, we don't teach people like, I mean, I worked in politics and in the nonprofit field around grassroots stuff, like for years, like we didn't, we've never, I've never even really considered like, there's no game to be won. Like it's shifting sand that moves over and over, like certainly issues but even then, like, there's no, like, let's say you're anti-abortion or something and then, or pro or whatever, like there's no, there's only shifting an issue one direction or another. It's not like, okay, we've outlawed abortion and now it's static. The, the game is won, like that because of humanity and opinion and time, like that's impossible. And right. so we don't think about our responsibility. And I don't think the political movement, you know, has thought about our responsibility to the overall process that's gonna that's enduring and the cost of winning sometimes your your small little your turf wars inside the bigger inside the bigger picture and I agree with you without the what did you call it without the just cause there isn't a uh there isn't a proper perspective 
And um, he distinguishes a just cause from a why too. So um, like your why is what you do and your just cause is how you do it. Right. Um, and I wish I had bookmarked that page so I could read how he distinguishes, but I didn't. But to use your Can you example, give an example? Oh, go well, ahead. <laughs> I, I was going to say to use, I'm going to tell a really what I thought was the most compelling story of the book, but to take, to piggyback on your example of like pro, pro-abortion or, or anti-abortion, whichever, which way you look at it, the just cause behind that, like someone might take a position that their just cause is every child is a wanted child. We're building, mm. we're building a world where every child is a wanted yes. child. And it's got, cause the just cause has to be for something inclusive, yes, can't just be service oriented. Yeah. Resilient and idealistic. And you would never finish that. Like, how would you ever finish, you know, like one of his, um, his elements of his why is that um, people feel valued at work. How would you ever finish that? How would you ever finish justice or freedom or like it, it, one of the elements of a just cause is you can't ever really achieve it. It's ultimately unattainable and you get, right, but it also it. orients you to the greatest impact that you think you can have at the time, but it also orients you to a level of accountability and responsibility for the impact that we make. Like, I mean, we've talked on probably maybe not on the podcast, but right. Like so many nonprofits and missionaries went into third world countries and they tried to solve problems by just bringing resources and money without evolving any systems or without, and they did so much damage, um, you know, outside of it, even being like, you know, in the name of God, and we're not even going, I'm not even going down that rabbit hole, but just, they weren't responsible for the systemic impact because, the game was so finite, like right. feed people right yeah. now, right? like, holy crap. Yeah. And sometimes you can have finite goals within an infinite game, of course, because otherwise course, how you'd do you have know? to like, right. like an infinite game you might play personally is, I mean, this is one you and I have talked about is um, to live at the best health that's available to me, something like that, right. To live at a level of personal wellness, the, the highest level of wellness that's available to me. So that's great. sometimes there would be a finite goal, maybe of losing weight or going to the gym until you could deadlift a certain amount of pounds or running a marathon or getting your blood sugar down to a certain right. amount, like sleeping for nine hours a night or whatever it is. Right? right. So those are all finite goals inside the infinite game, but how would you ever finish that? And also that would have to flex your whole life because like my highest wellness at my current age is not going to be my highest wellness if I'm allowed to be 80 years old. Right. Right. So, um, but here's one of the best examples because one of the things that also has happened in business is a lot of companies were founded by someone who had a clear vision of a just cause and they spent their whole life building the business for the just cause and then they die and their successors don't advance the just cause. They pick up the mantle of like shareholder value or maximum profits or whatever. Wait, and, I want to ask a question before. Can, I want, yeah, do it. Like, did you define what the difference between a why and a just cause was? You used so, the example of pro-life, you know, pro-choice or whatever, but like. No, I, what, I wasn't. No, I, I just picked the, that as I, I said. I was talking about it like every child. But what would be a, the difference of a why inside that? Like, why um, wouldn't every child want a child be the why? I don't know. I don't remember. He distinguished okay. that. And I, I don't remember where, because he but said. I think it does have something to do with the person. Like, why a why is very personal. 
individual also i can't i can't remember all the parts yeah but continue yeah because he says his why in this book is to work to build a world in which the vast majority of us will wake up inspired feel safe at work and return home fulfilled at the end of the day and his just cause might be every game an infinite game okay got it right that's not his just cause but that would be like the yeah an example it's like the how there's the why and the how so um, this story is, is great because it's a perfect example of how a company can get started with a just cause. And then it, when they lose sight of um, their just cause, they, they lose their, their soul basically and often go out of business. Yeah. So the best example was, I mean, it's so, he put such a beautiful bow on it. It's almost tragic is um, Eastman Kodak. So um, I forget the guy's name, George Eastman, I think is his name. Can't remember. Anyway, Eastman, um, at the time that he founded uh, his company, the only people who took, um, the only way you could take a photograph was uh, professionals took photograph and like highly resourced amateurs with all kinds of money, right? right? That was the only way. There was no way for just like an average everyday person to just have a picture. And so his just cause was, um, that, that the ability to capture our lives, you know, whatever is accessible to every single person. I forget how, you know, it was said, but basically his just cause was everyone has access to this ability to document their lives like that. And so he invented like a portable camera, then the film canister and all these different things, right? That was his goal, George Eastman's Mm -hmm. goal, his just cause. And then um, after he died, the, the people who, the successors took on more and more um, the, the cause of maximum profits and shareholder profitability and blah, blah, blah. And, and not that shareholder value is a bad thing. It just shouldn't be the primary thing is the point. Like they're just one of many stakeholders. But anyway, so um, Kodak actually invented the digital camera and the person who did it brought it to the board and they're like, well, we can't do that because we make so much money in film. (laughs) So no, the best thing that we could do is suppress this technology as long as we possibly can, because it's going to bite into our main, you know, our main bread and butter. And so they suppress the technology for a really long time. Like they own the patents on it. Um, And then someone else came along and like created, I can't remember if I think it was Nikon and then Fuji. I can't remember. Um, I just listened to it and I still don't remember (laughs) it. And they came up with a digital camera and then they like um, licensed some of Kodak's patents and Kodak made a ton of money from licensing the patents. And then when their patents ran out, they basically, they didn't go out of business, but they basically went out of business and they hung on for a really long time and they stuck with film. And then as of right now, they do film and basically their only customers are professionals and highly resourced amateurs. <laughs> Isn't that sad? I mean, it is, it is really sad. It's tragic because it's right back around to where he started with his just cause. And do you think if they had been oriented the next generation around the just cause that they would have, that would have played out differently for co- that company? Yeah, of course. Certainly. Because if they had kept their eyes on the just cause, which is making, and they, and some people in the company had vision for it. Like the person who said, look, this is the wave of the future digital. They're like, nobody's going to want to look at their pictures on screens. Oh, ha ha ha. 
you stupid whippersnapper. Right. Um, and if they had reminded themselves of who they were, they mm. could have been the lead innovators. This is what I say all the time about Sears too. Like Sears, if they had it's remembered amazing. their roots, they could be, Am- they could have been Amazon because that's who they were in the catalog. Right. They were like, Amazon in the 1900s. They were Amazon. Early. And in, instead they just went out of business. And I mean, there's lots that happened in the Sears story because they didn't compete well with big box stores either. But if they had remembered who they were, they could have been Amazon. And that's, there are so many stories of that where there's a founder with a clear just cause and vision that builds something beautiful. And then it gets taken over and turned in half the time into a cash cow. Um, And then just as often as not out of business, like Kodak and Kodak going basically out of business, devastated Rochester, which is where, you know, um, all because they wanted to squeeze profits. I mean, I'm thinking too so much about the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership that like, if you don't actually pass along the vision in a way that it can remain like that, there's huge failed leadership. Like we don't, I mean, companies don't address that nearly enough, but I'm curious if you think if, um, if he had passed along the, um, oh my gosh, what's the language? I just lost it. Just cause. The, thank you. If he had passed along his vision and his just cause, like to the company, to the successors, like would that have been enough to guide it, or would they have needed to add an infinite game to that? Well, no. I mean, the just cause is part of. They're in an infinite game. So the infinite game is the business world in general. Yeah, yeah. The infinite game is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they. And they basically lost their infinite game because they exhausted their resources and their will to stay in the game. Okay. I mean, they're still in a little bit, but no, you don't really create infinite games. You work on your infinite mindset to appropriately play an infinite game. Like a game is either infinite or finite by definition. But it matters how you're playing it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't absorb that. I mean, I was really nerdy now on a lot of the other stuff, but it's interesting to have like put it down for a year and then have you listen to it again and then what yeah. things are coming to the surface now good job Lynn <laughs> well there's so I couldn't absorb half of it for I need to listen to it again I think or maybe read it but the other the flip is if you play a finite game with an infinite mindset that's also really dumb but we just don't do that like imagine that you went into a football game and we're like my just cause is everyone have a good time and you know you didn't try to actually win like you just get creamed Um, but we don't really do that. Right. We're all clear how to apply a finite mindset to a finite game, but when I don't think that's true, I think individually, when I deal with young leaders or people who don't have it, their, their why and their purpose and what they're up to in life, like they're playing their finite game of their life, like without, without any real goals and I think on an individual level there's all kinds of resource being squandered like that I think it's harder to rally people together in motion around something but I think a lot of people are playing that way with their actual individual lives unfortunately yeah but your life isn't a finite game the way that this is defined even though it has a beginning and an end it's not a finite game you don't win your life like you I do you to. No, I'm just kidding but yes I understand what you're saying your life is an infinite game so when you bring a finite mindset to your life like what if you try to win your health what does that even look like or win family 
you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the winner. I mean, I think of... people define what that looks like: getting married or having kids or whatever. But even that's an infinite game. Like you can't win getting married. You can. Like you, can your... you cannot. <laughs> Why like, not? Because everyone that's married, like you don't get to be the best married person. Like you can achieve a goal, but you're not winning the game. It's like a goal of your life. It's like right, if you get to a certain win it, like, okay, I got married and that was the whole goal. Like I just want to get married. But I you're mean, still playing an infinite like game of a relationship. Like the game doesn't end at that point. I mean, you hope that that's what's happening, but let's be honest, it's not always like that. (laughs) You're mixing up goals with finite games. I am. I clearly am uh, collapsing the two things. Have goals and milestones, of course. Like I was saying about the infinite game of your health, you can. But if, like, say you get, you go to the doctor and they say, "Here's your labs, and they're all really great," you go, "I win." (laughs) No, you don't. It's just like (laughs) I'm going to start doing that from now on. (laughs) I win help. <laughs> I won. The I doctor win help. would be like, uh, oh, what's happening? I'm going to prescribe you something for that weirdness. <laughs> oh, um, man. Sorry. But, I, clearly, I was collapsing something with a conversation I was having earlier today. Yeah, I you're. Apologize. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ignore yeah. me. I uh, Sometimes. <laughs> um. But I think it's, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but we've been talking about these infinite games in the discussions of like LuLaRoe and doTERRA, um, like the difference between just causes and not having a just cause and a finite mindset. Like when you think about when we talked about the LuLaRoe documentary, so many elements of a finite mindset in there because they weren't, they weren't even, they didn't even seem to care that their company survives. Right. You don't think so? I mean, on paper, they probably did, but not in a way that had any connection to reality because they didn't act in a way and thriving and right. Like that you want it to, it's like killing the golden goose, right. Or the goose that lays the golden eggs. Yeah. Like, like that's the, that's a classic finite mindset in an infinite game story, which is kill the goose that lays the golden eggs. Like that's, you know, finite mindset. Um, And that's what you see with companies where they, they make decisions that really threaten the longevity of a company in order to win the quarter or to win the year or to win the next stockholder meeting. Okay. So I, you know, I need to galvanize something here. So what is the most important concept to take? Like, I mean, obviously the most important concepts are that we, we need to start looking at, you know, how to be up to an infinite game or no, an um, infinite mindset. An infinite, An infinite mindset. mindset. Yeah. Sorry. The game. I just, infinite. I, I've used what I have used and you and I have used so often in our own conversation, we just collapse it. So when we talk about playing an infinite game, like we're adding infinite mindset. So like that, that would be something that was filled with purpose. Like when we right. talked about it, don't you think? Let, yeah. And let me read the back of the book to you. All right. I'm going to just read the All back right. of the book to you. We can't choose the game. We can't choose the rules. We can only choose how we play. In finite games, the players are known, the rules are fixed, and the endpoint is clear. Winners and losers are easily identified like in a game of football or chess. In infinite games, like business, politics, or life itself, the players come and go, the rules are changeable, and there is no defined endpoint. There's no such thing as winning business or winning life. For example, there is only ahead and behind. Hmm. 
I like how if I had read the back of the book before our podcast today, I wouldn't have used that dumb example. Can we re-record this one? No, sorry. I've got to go get Riley soon. <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. So, so he said, but how do, go ahead. He, he, he wrote this book because when he started understanding that and he looked around and he's like, people are playing these infinite games with a finite mindset and that's fucked. He didn't say that in the book. And I think that's one of the pieces that's missing. He should have said that's fucked, <laughs> but he didn't. Right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> he taught, and then he looks, so he contrasts people who it's not whether the game is infinite or not. Business is an infinite game, whether you like it or not. It's whether wow. you play it with a finite mindset or an infinite mindset. And then he can compares and contrast the results. Like he talks a lot about Microsoft and Apple that Microsoft's game is yeah. Apple and Apple's game is like create amazing technology that empowers people. Right. Right. So that's just, I mean, I, I just, I just did the collapsing that you said, but basically the way Microsoft plays the infinite game is as if it's finite, as if they're going to win against Apple. Yeah. I think that's really well put. So what, like, what is somebody left to do as an individual? Read this book. <laughs> okay. I guess listen I to it or whatever. No, but I think the real, it, I think there's really this invitation to look at the systems that our life, you know, thrives inside of and look at what the companies are doing and look at also like what is own mindset and can it like for sure, obviously can be expanded, but you know, like what are you up to that we really care about and what are like, what is a just cause that's worth participating in? And then maybe a handful of them right because we're all voting with our dollars and then are the companies that we're supporting are the places we're shopping like those are really good questions for us to start asking about our economic system and evolving like we all can have a huge impact even in the next year if you know half the world started paying attention to to those things and companies we would drive dramatic change because mostly consumers aren't voting the way like we are complaining about a company that's paying um, only its investors as you know a primary, you know goal, but we're not we we don't vote as customers for companies to operate differently more often than not either. Yeah, like when I was looking, <clears throat> sorry, when I was listening to this again, I was thinking this makes what DoTerra did with that new scorecard even more interesting because they are trying to assign metrics to their just yeah. cause so that people can hold them accountable to their just cause. Because if, because their just cause is basically um, empowering people's health and well-being. I would say they probably put it in a fancier way, but oh, I don't think so. You don't think their just cause is ultimately about people. No, it is. It is of course. But um but it, it is very specifically about like putting people's wellness and their destiny into their own hands, basically. So yeah, empower, personal empowerment. I think. Yeah. So if they handed us an oil that was like on the back of human trafficking, they're out of alignment with their just cause. They're just, they just are like, you can't do part right. of it. And, and obviously, you know, they're going to continue to find, that's why it's a just cause, right? They're going to continue to find exploitation and stuff and get it out and get it out and get it out. But that's what the, why the scorecard is so interesting because they're basically saying, hold us accountable 
to our just cause, hold us accountable to how we treat people, to how we treat the environment, to how we treat all the resources that we have access to, hold us accountable, that's their just cause. And I don't know many companies that are that assign metrics to their just cause. And it's so fascinating to me. Um, another example- Well, most companies don't have to, they can just use somebody else's, but Deterra's outgrown most of the metrics that could, could have worked at some point, or they don't fit because of various reasons. And also like, I mean, it's global, right? I mean, all the different countries that they participate in. So they have to look at creating something that works across the board, right? Like, I mean, even things like, you know, non-GMO and organic, and I, I will not get you spooled up, but like all that okay. stuff, like there's nothing, nothing that is um, like systemic enough to really address, you know, what they're doing. Well, so you're talking about in their very specific field, but I would argue that most companies aren't measuring their just cause because most don't have one or don't care about it. Like here's another yeah, example. Of these they're measuring the their bottom line. Yeah, they're measuring their bottom line. Here's another example from the book. He talks about when CVS stopped selling cigarettes. Do you remember that? Um, Of course, I do not remember that. (laughs) So in 2014, CVS announced that they weren't going to sell cigarettes anymore. Any nicotine products at all. No cigarettes, no vape, no nothing. Actually, I guess that's not true. Tobacco related products because they sell smoking cessation aids and those are nicotine, but they quit selling tobacco related products. And they came out and said, this is not in alignment. Like their just cause is helping people on their path to better health. And they sold cigarettes. And someone finally said, you know what? We cannot sell cigarettes inside (laughs) our just cause. It, we can't, it's, it is the least of preventable death. And Wall Street, and this was what's so interesting too, like the very first thing that happened is not Wall Street itself, but the Wall Street analysts, like this is a terrible decision. I don't even know what's going to happen. Their stock is going to tank, blah, blah, blah. And it took a small dip, but then um, their stock actually did better after that. But what's interesting though, is the Wall Street analysts have a vested interest in like scolding them back to Mm. their bottom line, right? And Walgreens, and Rite Aid both have a similar just cause, but they still sell tobacco. How can they defend themselves? Like really their just cause is basically a lie. Like you might as well just admit we're here to make the maximum profit. That's our, that's our purpose. Right. Like you can have a purpose, like your purpose isn't necessarily a just cause. So you can have a purpose that's not a just cause and you can have a purpose that is a just cause. Like I could start a company tomorrow that um, is in charge of breaking people's legs. And I can say my purpose is to break a hundred legs a day, but that's not a just cause, right? No matter what I say about it. So what was interesting is that CVS actually not only benefited from that, but everyone was like, well, here's the thing. This many cigarettes get sold per day. And if CVS doesn't sell them, then nobody's going to sell them. But what turned out to be true is actually cigarette sales across the nation declined and sales really interesting isn't it and sales of smoking cessation items went up so cvs was like hey you know what we're going to partner like 75 percent of people who smoke i only know these statistics because i literally this is like the second to last chapter of the book and i just finished the book um 75 percent of people who smoke want to quit and so cvs was like hey you know what we're going to help you and people took them up on it 
they started buying, you know, patches and lozenges and stuff instead of tobacco, like that demand evaporated. Hmm. It's so interesting because one of the things we also talk about is how often companies are doing total shit to the world and like they know it, right? Like you like you just said, Walgreens and Rite Aid, like they say they have the same mission, but they don't actually. Yeah, and they there's don't. so much green, like I I mean, I've adopted the word greenscaping. That's what happens so often, right? Greenwashing. Thank you. Yeah. Um I think that's an apartment building nearby us, greenscape. Um <laughs> and uh they they don't um like just lying about it has been good enough for the most part, unfortunately. Right. right. Because, um, like here's, here's what Jim Cramer said when like, not only is it been good enough, it's what people want. It's what, it's what wall street analysts want, which re- uh, wall street itself represents such a small, um, number of Americans. Yeah, my gosh. So yeah. I have the book open. So this is what Jim Cramer said about, he's a CNBC financial commentator. And when CVS announced this, it might make money in Oz, but Wall Street is not Oz. Wall Street isn't saying, you know what? I'm going to buy CVS because they are good citizens. I'm trying to figure out the earnings per share and the earnings per share for CVS just got worse. Um, But he has an incentive to say that. And what happened actually is CVS earning per share actually went up. Their stock price went up. They had partners that wouldn't sell their products there, um, like these kind of fancy, fancy health products that normally are only sold at Whole Foods and place like that. They're like, oh, CVS. Yeah, we'd love to have you carry our products. We wouldn't before because you sold cigarettes. Wow. And, and so playing your infinite game is actually good for your business, usually. Um, yeah, because I, th- I think things or, that cost sorry, us something, like it resonates. I was doing that yeah, same thing. Right, see, I, we pursuing, did it again. Pursuing your just cause. Yeah. Um, and there are so many other elements about it that are about treating people right and sharing in the benefits and the profits, um, across all stakeholders, including laborers, not just stockholders. And it it is, it is returning to classic capitalism, like classic capitalism invented by Adam Smith in the same soup of optimism, like 1776 is when he wrote the book. Like what else was happening then, right? Like there was a lot happening around personal empowerment and freedom. And he was speculating, but doing it inside a moral context of taking care of people, not just maximizing profits. And we've been duped that that's what capitalism really is. Like to just maximize profits at at the risk of everything. Like in the book, in the Infinite Game book, he talks a lot about the ethics of things. And he says, whenever you hear a company say, well, we're doing this and we haven't broken any laws. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. There, there's not any run run. Yeah, exactly. So rambling done, I think. All right. Yes. Cause we could just go on and on, but I think what we, at the minimum, I brought a little distinction about this for myself. So thank you. Very good. You're welcome. I'll listen to the, I'll read the book again too. Because I think this, I, I do, I do love that he created a framework when he defined elements of an infinite mindset and elements of a just cause. And then the other yeah. ones. So just to remind everyone, the elements of an infinite mindset are 
these are the essential practices. So again, like developing an infinite mindset is an infinite game. <laughs> Advance a just cause, right. build trusting teams, study your worthy rivals, prepare for existential flexibility, demonstrate the courage to lead. And they all feed into each other. I mean, we didn't talk at all about worthy rivals, existential flexibility, and courage to lead. And then a just cause is for something inclusive, service-oriented, resilient, and idealistic. Like I can't name many companies who live according to a just cause, but I would support the ones who do. Right. Yeah. I mean, because most of the companies that we think of are, are so big that they're in the wall street game. Right. And I think that's what we really want to see. You know, again, most systems are neutral until we add, you know, different pieces to them and then we get different results and that's what we're dealing with. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, for sure there are things to tear down, but again, like bringing this kind of insight to it and what could be possible inside of transforming it, I think is huge. And I think you and I both say we're interested in, you know, what's going to be a post-capitalist world. Like what can be evolved that is so powerfully different and valuable that we don't even look at it as the same thing. Even though I don't, I personally don't believe that we should throw out the whole system. No. In fact, I think what there is to do is scrape off the barnacles and get back to the real system that was created, um, you know, 250 years ago. Um, and I think we should, yeah, I mean, podcast. I don't disagree with you, but I am curious about if I think that's possible. And you yeah, get that more maybe. thought. Um, I mean, I look at what doTERRA is doing inside and they're transforming. There's plenty of companies that are playing with infinite mindsets. Yeah, um, I agree. And they do well. And I think we should do a whole podcast also on the other element of building trusting teams. Um, because Jack Welsh is another one that turned people oh my gosh. just into, so Eric is doing, um, performance reviews at work right now. And he comes home every night, just absolutely furious because there isn't even a rubric around how to do this. They actually, they say there's no quotas. And then they say, okay, this many people get an A, this many people get a B, this mm-hmm. many people get a C, this many people get a D. And they have spent hundreds of man hours um, assigning people into the categories, almost irrespective of their performance. It's ridiculous. It makes him so furious. He's starting to be snarky and he's never snarky. <laughs> like not <laughs> to me, but in the meetings, like it's just ridiculous. Like they have, I don't want to say where he works because I don't want him to get in trouble, but like they actually have been told, like if a person got a promotion last year, they can't score above a C. Like, it's just a rule. Like that is so dumb. And they, they have that Jack Welsh management, you know, where he used to rank everybody and fire the bottom 10% every single year. Right. uh, He was a, he was a Milton Friedman is what that guy was. <laughs> All right. That. And with that, let's flush the toilet and call yes. it an episode. <laughs> we'll see you next time <laughs> see in you the ladies' time. room. <laughs> Ciao. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies' room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at Five Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm-hmm.